This is the Epilog Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to History Chatter. We've been talking about integration of states in independent India and in the last episode we spoke about sikkim and we left the story a little suspended what exactly happened in sikkim you know the broad outlines of the story and here are the details let us recap for the moment india treated sikkim uniquely by not requiring it to sign the usual agreement to join which made it difficult for pro democracy and anti monarchy forces within the state to push for a merger the various aspects of india's sikkim policy which the ministry of external affairs followed until about 1972 became clear by 1953 The core of the policy was that India needed to support the Maharaja to safeguard its strategic concerns in Sikkim. Now, three concrete strategies followed from this core belief or principle. The first was that protests against the government or anti-darbar agitations needed to be controlled. The second was to somehow limit the success or appeal of the parties led by bhutia or lepcha leaders now these parties though mainly nepalis dominated aimed to change sikkim's political and administrative system it was important to control these changes to avoid similar demands from nepalis in darjeeling or siliguri The third point emphasized that ignoring the interests of uh, the Bhutia and Lepcha people might lead them to seek help from Tibet or China if they felt threatened by the success of uh, the Nepalese dominated parties. Here the Chogyal or Paldin Thondup Namgyal had different roles. Let's look at what he did. First as Maharaj Kumar and then as Maharaja from 1963 to 1965 and then as the Chogyal he used India's appeasement policy if you like to his family's advantage. He impressed upon Indian policy makers that he alone could provide stable government and uh, that local political leaders were incompetent and selfish and that he alone was capable of fending off the nepalese threat in the area but how did india look at the question as independence approached political advancements within india led to elected governments not only in the adjacent region of west bengal but also in other areas this inevitably influenced the political campaigners in Sikkim which added really to their democratic aspirations among the prominent leaders like Tashi Shering 
and Ghazi Dorji. In August 47, there were four major political groups in Sikkim. Among them, of course, there was SSC, led by Tashi Shering, and it generated the largest following. There were two other parties which shared similar views, the Praja Sudharak Samaj, which was led by Dhan Bahadur Chhetri, and Praja Mandal, which was led by Kazi. Now, both of these held ideologies similar to that of um, SSC. The ideologies were very clear. They were aligned in their goals. They advocated for the elimination of landlordism. They demanded implementation of democratic reforms and a stronger and enduring connection with India. But of course, there was a fourth party, the Sikkim Rajya Praja Sammelan, which pursued a more direct approach, calling for a complete merger with India. Their final objective was to establish an expanded Nepalese-speaking state within India, which would cover Sikkim, Darjeeling and the neighboring regions. But um, their influence within Sikkim remained quite limited, uh, with only a small number of supporters. Now, the Chogyal himself established a fifth political party called the Sikkim Nationalist Party or SNP to act as a response to SSC. And now the member of SNP were largely Vutias and Lepchas, primarily from the north and eastern region of Sikkim. Now, SNP supported the idea of Sikkim gaining independence. It was also open to engaging in discussions with India for a potential resolution like re-evaluating the 1950s treaty until circumstances became uh, sort of more conducive for full independence. Um, in December, particularly on December 5th, 1947, in Gangtok, the heads of three parties with these similar ideologies convened for a meeting. And during this meeting, they adopted a resolution which called for the elimination of landlordism, establishment of an interim government until a government based on public support and election was established. And key proposition was that, uh, and I quote, the integration of the state of Sikkim into India unless it had already been accomplished, unquote, by the Maharaja. The decision in the meeting was to sort of combine the two minor parties into SSC, uh, which was led by Tashi Shering. Additionally, Shering expressed the party's intention to, to sort of associate with the All India States People Conference, which was led by Jawaharlal Nehru, and which, of course, was uh, prevalent in India's princely states elsewhere. It was really the princely states wing of the Congress. Meanwhile, time had come to implement the standstill agreement with Sikkim. The initial version of this agreement was delivered to the Sikkimese delegation following the meeting on 3rd June 1947 in VP Menon's office. Later discussions about this agreement primarily took place within the state's department. Now, there was something in that agreement, the contents really of paragraph 6 of this note, were rather interesting, and I quote, Constitutionally, 
Sikkim is an Indian state. His Highness is a member of Chambers of Princes and used to take part in its proceedings. It is treated in all respects as an Indian state, but in view of its position, relations with the state are conducted through External Affairs Department with an agent of the Crown posted in Gangtok. Its status as an Indian state did not really matter very much since it allowed Sikkim separate existence and development on lines suited to local traditions and circumstances. Unquote. The standstill agreement was finally signed on 27th February 1948. It was signed by uh, Thondo, the future uh, Chogyal, on behalf of the Sikkim, and P.A. Menon, who was a joint secretary, Ministry of External Affairs and Commonwealth Relations. This standstill agreement uh, had a schedule which contained 11 subjects arms and equipment, control of commodities, currency and coinage, customs, extradition, service of summons and execution of civil decrees, the existing arrangements of the Central Public Works Department, post, telegraph and telephones, external affairs, defense, motor vehicles, refund of duty on sizable articles, and opium and ganja. So um, by December 1948, Sikkim had signed the standstill agreement. In December of 1948, a delegation from SSC, including Tashi Shering, L.D. Kaji, and C.D. Rai traveled to New Delhi with the purpose of presenting their three demands to Jawaharlal Nehru. They were, of course, warmly received as uh, the champions of the revolution. But concerning their demands, uh, Nehru displayed empathy towards the first two, but advised the delegation not to emphasize the issue of accession, as it might lead to allegation of coercion against India. Moreover, he proposed that Sikkim should be allowed to develop uh, in harmony with its unique character similar to that uh, of the development of Bhutan and Nepal. On 9th March 1949, in a supplementary question in the parliament, Tajmul Hussain asked, and I quote, Is it the position that Sikkim has acceded to the Indian Union? Unquote. Replying to the question, Prime Minister Nehru said, and I quote, the question in that shape has not arisen. All these matters are pending and under consideration. The present position is that the old relations with Sikkim and Bhutan with the government of India continue. What exactly the future relations will be is a matter for consultation between Sikkim, Bhutan and the government of India." Unquote. In his answer, Pandit Nehru linked Bhutan with Sikkim, though the status of Bhutan had not been included in the question. On 9th March 1949, in a supplementary question in the parliament, Tajamul Hussain asked, and I quote, Is it the position that Sikkim has acceded to the Indian Union? Unquote. Replying to this question, Prime Minister Nehru said, and I quote again, 
the question in that shape has not arisen. All these matters are pending and under consideration. The present position is that the old relations with Sikkim and Bhutan with the government of India continue. What exactly the future relations will be is a matter for consultation between Sikkim, Bhutan and the government of India. You'd notice that in his answer, Prime Minister Nehru connected Bhutan with Sikkim, though the status of Bhutan had not been included in the question. Around this time, the SSC uh, made demands for a more inclusive and representative government. Despite the very slim chance of these demands being fulfilled, Tashi Shering warned of starting a Satyagraha. This prompted Prime Minister's office to request Dr. B. B. Keskar, who was the Minister of State for External Affairs at the time, to move to Gangtok in May 1949. His objective was to assess the situation and facilitate a compromise. However, Keskar was unable to achieve a mutually agreeable resolution during his four-day visit to Gangtok and he left on the 27th of May, with the administration at a standstill and with stability in his mind, the Maharaja dismissed the newly formed cabinet on 6th June, only 27 days after it was set up. To manage the state's affairs then, India deployed John S. Lal, who was a former Indian civil services officer to work as the Diwan of Sikkim. It became quite evident that India was not genuinely interested in either establishing a genuinely popular or a representative government in Sikkim. Quite an intriguing aspect arising from India's involvement in restoring peace in Sikkim at that time was that neither uh, Thondup nor Shering were happy with the result. It did not make either of them happy. In March 1950, delegates from uh, several political parties in Sikkim engaged in comprehensive discussions with the Indian government officials and political leaders in New Delhi. Their discussions uh, revolved around the future relationship between Sikkim and India and the role of these parties in that context. At the same time, negotiations were going on with a Sikkimese delegation led by Thondo regarding the Indo-Sikkim Treaty, which was eventually signed in Gangtok in December 1950. The details of both the political discussions and the treaty negotiations were outlined in a press release on March 20th, 1950. The release was issued by the Ministry of External Affairs. According to this press release, Sikkim's status would persist as a protectorate of India. Now, the Indo-Sikkim Treaty was signed on December 5, 1943 at the Palace Monastery between Hareshwar Dayal and Maharaja Tashi Namgyal. 
The crucial clause 2 of this treaty mentioned that, and I quote, Sikkim shall continue to be a protectorate of India and subject to the provisions of this treaty shall enjoy autonomy in regard to its internal affairs, unquote. Meanwhile, the SSC virtually became divided into two factions, led by Tashi Shering and Dorji respectively. Tashi Shering had boycotted the inauguration of the new council in 1953. The Congress members started drifting into the so-called communal factions, with Shering leading the hardline anti-party factions. He did not like the dismissal of his ministry in 1949 and had already started exhibiting anti-India sentiments after that. Now, meanwhile, he started keeping unwell, Tashi Seri. Since his uh, removal as president of the SSC and eventually died in 1954 of an overdose of sleeping pills. The leadership transition within the SSC prompted the party to reconsider its position towards India. Drawing insights from Shering's interactions with Indian officials and the leadership, the new leaders of SSC, that is Kazi and Kashiraj Pradhan, came to understand the futility of opposing the government of India by presenting requests that uh, were not approved since the 1953 declaration. In a meeting on 1st of December 1953, Nehru told an SSC delegation that Sikkim State Congress must build upon its strength internally among the entire people of Sikkim, including the Bhutias and Lepchas, and not just among the Nepalese population and second, that it would not be proper for Sikkim Congress to affiliate to Indian National Congress at the present moment. It might give a handle to the Vutia or Lepchas to look up to Tibet in response. It was a fairly old position of India. But I must now flash forward a bit or will run short of time. When the Indo-Sikkim Treaty in 1950 was signed, which conferred a protectorate status upon Sikkim, both parties, India and Sikkim, willingly and genuinely established this relationship. The terms of the treaty established clear boundaries that neither of the signatory parties was meant to surpass or exceed. Now, Nehru's deaths in May 1964, added a moment of uncertainty to the drama. His successor, Lal Bahadur Shastri, settled into his role shortly and India became entangled in a conflict with Pakistan in 1965. During a meeting facilitated by the Soviet Union in Tashkent with Pakistani President Yahya Khan, Shastri suffered a severe heart attack on the very day he signed the Tashkent Agreement. That was 10th of January 1966. Before that, Thondup had a cordial meeting with Shastri. But there was no significant discussion really. Now, 
Thondupa knew from earlier, the new Prime Minister Indira Gandhi. He had previously spent some time as a guest at the Teen Murti House during Nehru's Prime Ministership. Thondu perhaps believed that Indira Gandhi, like her father, would be sympathetic to his aspirations. During 1966, Thondup, or the Chogyal, um, used his overseas visits with his American wife, Hope Cook, to foster connections with diplomatic and influential circles. Meanwhile, he also managed to have a news article published in the Kolkata-based newspaper, then Calcutta-based newspaper, The Statesman. That was believed by many Sikkim National Congress leaders to favor the Chogyal, and it labeled the treaty hopelessly outdated. In May 1967, Thondup organized a press conference at the palace, and he told the reporters there that his country desired political freedom but also was willing to wait the convenience of the government of India. By June the 6th, 1967, he expanded on his demands, this time expressing a desire for India to handle only the defense of Sikkim and leave other matters under the jurisdiction of the Chogyal. And he also raised doubts about the rationale behind maintaining an India-appointed Diwan. That title was later changed, really, to Sidlon, a Tibetan equivalent. The Chogyal believed that a qualified individual from Sikkim could assume this role whenever such a role became available. Several days later, on June 15th, three members of Sikkim's Executive Council released an extraordinary declaration which stated that every nation had the right to request a reassessment of its treaty commitments. At the same time, the government publication Sikkim Herald indicated that if negotiations between India and Sikkim regarding treaty obligations were not initiated, India could be perceived as an imperialistic power. In this backdrop, India's Deputy Prime Minister Morarji Desai paid a visit to Gangtok in March 1968. During this visit, Desai agreed with Thondup's proposal that the excise duty imposed by the New Delhi government on goods entering and exiting Sikkim could be reimbursed to Sikkim. Since excise duty was a tax governed by central government, this indirect agreement sort of acknowledged Sikkim's distinct status as an exception to the general rule. Later, Indira Gandhi herself, accompanied by Cabinet Secretary Kaul, also went to Gangtok. While talking to Thondup, she informally acknowledged that uh, there was a necessity of revising the treaty to accommodate some of his requests. At the same time, she expressed her inability to make these changes due to her own precarious political position at home. The sequence of events was followed by a critical article in a local publication called Sikkim, 
this article asserted the need for a revision of the treaty and its registration with the United Nations no less. Let's now return to Sidhu. As the head of Raw's establishment in Gangtok, his initial role entailed overseeing the gathering of intelligence related to Tibet and China. But since February 1973, a completely new aspect was included into the OSDP's duties. This involved coordinating special operations aimed at supporting the integration of Sikkim into India. His third duty, which may be described as somewhat partial, was to offer cover for the intelligence bureau personnel who were stationed in Gangtok. Now, to fulfill these duties, Sidhu's predecessor established a dedicated three-member team. Now, the OSDP had a multifaceted role, but the other two members were exclusively focusing on tasks related to this special operation. They rarely ventured out of the office during daytime to meet with their political associates. These meetings typically occurred after dark, when Gangtok was mostly dormant. Now, before Kazi assuming the role of chief minister, his interaction, Sidhu's interaction with Kazi, generally happened at Kazi's Kalimpong home, when it was necessary to convene some kind of a secret meeting in Gangtok, including Kazi. They relied, the raw relied on some sort of a regular jeep driven by Chun Chun. This vehicle would discreetly collect these leaders from some predetermined locations and these gatherings would occur either at Sidhu's home or at a secure location. Now, the activities of Sidhu was not noticed by the media in either India or Sikkim which highlights his remarkable discretion. Now, it's quite challenging to identify another operation, whether conducted by India or any other nation, which was executed as discreetly. In August 1976, later, of course, much later, Prime Minister Indira Gandhi awarded Sidhu the Indian Police Medal. But that comes later. So, Raw had its office located in the northern region of Sikkim. The IB remained actively engaged in other parts of Sikkim. Surprisingly, neither the Chogyal nor his influential sister, who was called Kuku La, lodged any complaints with the government of India about the special operations orchestrated by Sidhu, which were aimed at supporting and facilitating the pro-democracy movement. Let's briefly recount how Sidhu executed his delicate mission. It didn't look like a conventional intelligence operation where an agent simply releases funds to an informant in exchange for information or services. Instead, these efforts represented a collaborative enterprise involving both the raw and the pro-democracy and pro-reform factions in Sikkim. These factions had previously felt let down by India's policy of appeasement towards the Maharaja or the Chogyal, which had come at the expense of their democratic aspirations. The raw 
was entrusted with the task of rectifying this historical mistake by providing these democratic forces with an equitable opportunity to counter the dominant and manipulative Chogyal. This became necessary, really, when diplomatic efforts had ceased to yield the desired outcomes. Sidhu regarded himself as some kind of a political aid sent by India to assist Kazi. It's true that India did provide some financial support to democratic groups through Sidhu. Yet, Sidhu emphasizes that this amount was minimal compared to the substantial sums that New Delhi was giving to the Chogyal. The Chogyal, who used part of the funds to advance his own political agenda, serves as an example of this disparity. For instance, the Chogyal received 20 lakhs for palace repairs and then demanded an additional 35 lakhs for the same purpose. But uh, when the CEO visited his palace, it was discovered that no repair work had been undertaken. So Sidhu concluded that the Chogyal had diverted the money for other purposes. Several months before Sidhu embarked on this mission, the Chogyal in response to growing popular unrest, had to sign a letter prepared by political officer K.S. Bajpai. There was a request in the letter to the political officer to assume administrative control. Subsequently, B.S. Das was sent to take over as the chief administrator. This title was later changed to chief executive officer at the Chogyal's request. This occurred in April 1973. Before leaving from Delhi, the executive officer was advised by Kewal Singh, who was uh, in the foreign ministry, to support the democratic forces, although he was not informed about the initiative of RAW that's already going on. In March 1973, Kewal Singh visited Sikkim and persuaded the Chogyal to agree to the establishment of a legislative assembly based on universal suffrage and the formation of a cabinet accountable to the assembly. The CEO would assume the role of the assembly's speaker. So Sidhu went meanwhile to Kolkata in June 1973 and uh, walked out a seven-point plan of action in consultation with P.N. Banerjee. The objective was to isolate the Chogyal, strengthen the democratic forces, and create the preconditions for a Maja in response to the people's demand. The elections were held in April 1974, and Sidhu was delighted to learn that Kazi's party got 31 out of 32 seats. Obviously, Kazi's political assistant, which is Sidhu, had worked really hard behind the scenes. In May 1974, the Assembly passed a resolution asking India to take measures, and I quote, to further strengthen Indo-Sikkim relationship and for Sikkim's participation in the political and economic institutions of India as defined by this resolution. Unquote. In short, the assembly called for a merger. The Chogyal resisted. 
Sikkim then became an associate state. A referendum held in April 1975 showed that 97% people supported the merger. The merger itself took place in May 1975 when the president gave his assent. What was really the role of Sidhu and Raw in this operation? They can be summarized as a number of strategies that they had followed. Strategy number one was to involve Kazi, the Janata Congress General Secretary Rai, and subsequently reaching out to the president of their party, K.C. Pradhan, which is essentially to strengthen the political leaders calling for democracy and merger. Second, um, it was to boost their confidence by telling them of a shift in the government of India's stance towards Sikkim. Three, um, it was to exploit the discontent among the ordinary members of the population who opposed the outdated election system. Four, the objective was to encourage the anti-Chogya leaders to seize every appropriate opportunity to motivate their followers to unite in support of their leaders. Five was to gradually increase the intensity of anti-Chogyal demonstrations. Six, it was to diligently work towards creating unity between the two anti-Chogyal political parties. Seven was to prepare the leaders of the anti-Chogyal parties to sustain this pressure for an extended period. Finally, it was to devote concerted efforts to reassure the Sikkim National Congress and Janta Congress leaders that uh, unlike in 1949, India will not take actions to undermine their efforts. Now, I have omitted a wealth of details and a great deal of drama. The end result, of course, was that Sikkim was merged eventually with India. And since 1975, which is nearly 50 years ago, Sikkim has been an integral part of India. This episode concludes our five-part series on the integration of princely states. Uh, I look forward to seeing you next week with another most interesting and riveting episode. It may be an interview. It may be another equally dramatic episode from the history of India or the world. Do wait upon us. History Chatter will be back next week. Goodbye. Good day. Goodbye.